this morning, I get the privilege of opening God's Word and, and teaching from Scripture this morning, and I'm so, so excited about it. Um, and it's just, it's just great to be up here and to be with you guys, and I'm just thankful for God's Word and that we can come together as a church and, and we can grow towards Jesus Christ. Um, I want to start, though, by trying to get you to kind of return to your childhood a little bit. Um, to maybe just just open up that that kid that's inside of you and 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 have some fun and imagine the things that beyond logic and reason are really possible. Um, if if you're anything like me, one of the ways that this played out when you were a kid was uh, when you found or or got to have a giant cardboard box. I mean, at the very least, for like for me and my siblings, whenever we would get like a really big cardboard box, that was when the fun started. Sometimes my dad would bring them home from work, or we'd get a new appliance, or there'd just be this really big package that arrived. Um, and all we needed was some markers and some duct tape in that cardboard box, and our imaginations would go all over the place. I mean, we would transform these things into race cars and rocket ships and just all sorts of different things, you know, secret forts and, and even, you know, time machines. And it was really cool this week. Some people from church helped me get a couple of, of really big boxes, and I took them home, um, and I showed them to Maisie, and we did the same thing. We just had a ball. We got out the stickers and the markers and the tinfoil, and we just started creating, and she spent hours inside of these boxes this week, and it, it was an absolute blast. But the best part of it was that we actually figured out how to make a time machine. I'm not kidding you. Me and my two-year-old, we broke quantum mechanics, and we have created a working time machine, and I brought it here this morning. And it's really cool because it, you don't have to get in it. It actually just kind of creates a time-space continuum bubble around this room, and so we can all test it out together. You guys want to do that? Yeah? All right. I mean, it's half y'all are on board over here. The Watkins family is ready to go, but do you guys want to time travel with me? I mean, this sounds like a lot of fun, right? Yeah. There we go. Okay. So uh, I've programmed in my three top destinations in the past that I want to visit, and we're going to check them out together. So here we go. First one. Okay. We are going back to the prehistoric age. I would want to go and I would want to see dinosaurs if I had a time machine. I mean, like, imagine it, the opportunity to watch a T-Rex hunt or to see a brontosaurus just rip down a tree. Oh, that would be so cool. I would totally go back to the time of dinosaurs with a time machine. Next place we're going. See, I've always wondered about how those Egyptians built the pyramids. People are always speculating. They're like, did the aliens help the pyramids get built? Did they do it? Or was it people? How is this possible? So I would go back in time to the period where the Egyptians were doing the construction on the pyramids to see how it was really done and answer that question once and for all. I got one more destination. My personal favorite here. We're going back to October 25th, 1919. A very specific day, but my personal top choice for time travel because it is the day that the Ohio State Buckeyes got their first win over Michigan. They went up to Ann Arbor. Yes. Yeah. They went up to Michigan. They played at Ferry Field. And Chick Harvey and the Buckeyes started a centuries-long domination in the rivalry from that point. Um, and I would oh, it'd be so cool to be there for that game. That would be just incredible. I would love to go there if I had a working time machine. So 
Thank you for, for traveling time with me. That was a blast. I do have to tell you, though, I mean, if I really did truly have a working time machine, there, there's one more place that I would travel to, and it would, it would be my top choice. Uh, as cool as Chick Harvey and the Buckeyes beating the team up north would be, I would have to go back to the time of Jesus. Just as, as a believer um, and as someone who follows Jesus, there would be no other choice for me than to time travel back and to sit at Jesus' feet. I mean, imagine this. Imagine the opportunity to sit there as Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and to, to just listen to him teach, to ask him questions. Imagine getting to witness firsthand with your very own eyes as Jesus is doing miracles, as he's healing the sick and, and making the blind to see. Personally, I, one of the, the stories that I would want to be there for is, is when Jesus has this encounter with the demonic legion who has possessed this man. And if you know the story, you know that, that this, this demon, this entity has given this man the power to even break out of chains. And Jesus comes face to face with guy and it's like a showdown. And this demon-possessed man has no chance. And Jesus casts those, that legion of demons into the pigs and they run off a cliff. And that would have been cool to see Jesus just demonstrate his power over the demonic forces in that moment. And it would be awesome to see Jesus face to face. And you know, this isn't just an idea that we talk about when we think about time travel and, and use our imaginations to come up with all these, you know, fun scenarios. In my time as a pastor and as a believer, I've just had conversations with people and we've talked about this idea. And people express this, this lamentation that they, that they haven't got to, to see Jesus face to face. And we think about the disciples, and we think about those believers who were alive at the time of Jesus, and, and we say, man, they were so lucky. Man, they, they got to see Jesus face to face. And we say things like, man, man, if only I lived then, if only I could walk heel to toe next to Jesus, my faith would be different. My journey towards God would be different. And my belief would be different if I could just walk with Jesus, if I could just be in his presence. Man, I've, I've had that same desire. I've had those same thoughts. Man, they had it easier than we do. They had it better than we do. They got to see Jesus. And on the one hand, that is so good. Like, we, we should be longing for this day when that will be our reality, when we'll get to be in eternity with Jesus and be with him face to face. That is something that's, that's good to long for, you know, but on the other hand, I think that this longing reveals in us a misunderstanding of God's presence and primarily a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit and what it means to have the Holy Spirit in us and dwelling with us. And we have these longings because deep down, we believe that the physical Jesus is better than the Holy Spirit that indwells us now. And somehow that that is a better, more fuller reality of God with us and the Holy Spirit indwelling our souls is. And so this morning, I, I want to look to Scripture and I, I want to try to help you understand who the Holy Spirit is and to see that the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our souls indwelling with us is just as real as the presence of Jesus was to his disciples. So let me pray and then we'll jump into the Word of God together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your voice that is speaking to us today. God, help us to know you better, to love you more, and to know more about how to live for you. God, I ask that, that as we open your word, as we meditate on these scriptures, that, 
that you would help soften our hearts, that, that just as we hear that truth that is coming from your word, that, that we would believe it in a way that we haven't before. God, I ask that you would help me to communicate the truth of your word clearly. And God, as we dive into this mysterious and complex topic of the Holy Spirit, that if there's anything that I say that is not of you, that you would strike it. You would not allow it to come out of my mouth, but, but the only things that would come out would be things that are true and that reveal your character. We love you so much. We know that you are with us. Help us have the faith to believe it. Amen. So this morning, our passage is going to be John chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. And we're also going to take a look at John uh, 4, or 16, 4 through 15 as well. Uh, and these two passages both come from a section of teaching that Jesus is giving his, to his disciples. They both come uh, right after the Lord's Supper. And so they've, they've broken bed. They've had the first communion. And, and Judas has already left. He has gone off to betray Jesus. And then Jesus enters into this time where he's teaching the disciples and he's preparing them for the days to come. And in these two sections, he speaks specifically about the Holy Spirit and how he's going to be with us in the Holy Spirit after he ascends to heaven. And so this is the perfect place for us to go to learn more about who the Holy Spirit is and how he's with us. Let's read it together. John 14, 15 through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The things I have spoken to you while I am here, still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid." And before we move on, I want to stop on this last verse because I think it really reveals the heart behind Jesus' teaching to his disciples here. It's interesting, if, if you have the time, I would encourage you to read John 14 through 16 in its entirety. And one of the things that you'll notice is the disciples are hearing everything Jesus is teaching, but they're really kind of caught up on one thing, and that's that he's leaving. Jesus is letting them know, hey, like, I'm going to go. I'm going to, you know, die on the cross. I'm going to raise from the dead, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to ascend. And so he's, he's saying, not only am I going to die on the cross, but I'm also going to ascend. And he's basically saying over and over again, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm not going to be with you anymore. And he's teaching them, and he's preparing them for that reality and for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But they're just really stuck on this idea of, like, Jesus is leaving. Jesus isn't going to be with us anymore. 
And so they're terrified. They're afraid. They're dealing with all of these feelings of isolation and loneliness and no longer having a place to belong or or a family to belong to. Remember, the disciples were with Jesus for three years. They lived and breathed and walked with him, you know, the majority of every single day. They've built, you know, a tight-knit family with them and the disciples. This is their place to belong. This is their identity as followers of Jesus. And now Jesus is like, hey, guys, I want to let you know I'm not going to be with you much longer. And that's, there's like that, he, that's all I needed to say. And they're like, they're stuck there. Like, hold on, Jesus is leaving. So they're dealing with all this fear. And Jesus is teaching us about the Holy Spirit, teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit in direct response to their fear. He wants them to know, like, I leave you with peace. Like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And what I want us to recognize this morning is that we deal with those same feelings and those same fears. Now, we deal daily with with feelings of isolation and loneliness and not believing that we have a place to belong. Working with with young people makes this reality all too real to me. I hear over and over again the sentiment of, of, man, I just feel like I'm out on an island. I don't feel like anyone loves me. I don't feel like I have any support. And I just feel so alone. I just feel so lost and, and isolated. And I, I don't even know if I believe that, that God is with me. Like, how do I know that God is with me? And I know that, that there are many, many people in this room today, and you're dealing with those same struggles. You're dealing with those same thoughts, and you question whether or not God is by your side. You feel isolated. You feel stuck by yourself. And even if it's not a daily reality for you, we all go through those seasons where struggle comes, where we walk through valleys, and we, we turn in fear and, and to these isolation, those fears like, God, are you leaving? Where were you? And God is answering that fear today. He's speaking directly to that anxiety, that hurt in our heart with the words that he has in Scripture this morning. He's telling us the Holy Spirit is God with us. He's looking at it and he's saying, no, 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 you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit, and that is God, that is me with you. One of the things that I really love about this passage is the way that Jesus uses really casual, informal, personal language to describe what this looks like. A couple excerpts from our passage I will ask the Father, and he will give to another helper to be with you forever. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we will come to him and make our home with him. This is so personal. Yeah, there's deep theological implications here, but Jesus is just speaking to their fears. He's just speaking to their loneliness. He's just speaking to their sense of belonging. And he's just saying, look, like, I've got you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be at home with you. I'm not abandoning you. And he's, he's saying the same thing to us this morning as we struggle with these feelings. God is saying to you, no, like, you're not going to be alone. I will be with you forever. You're not by yourself. I'm dwelling with you. I will be in you. I will never leave you as orphans. You will never be abandoned. You will never not have a family. 
because your family is with me. You are an adopted child of God. So I'm going to come to you. My home is going to be with you. I'm at home with you. You are at home with me. This is your place to belong. You are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God with you. You never, ever are alone. One of the things that I think is valuable for us to do is to say, to stop and recognize that this isn't unique to our time, to our age, or our place. And it's not like God all of a sudden had a change of heart and sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. This has always been his desire. God has always wanted to be with his people. I want to, I want to just show, that, show this to you briefly by kind of walking through the, the entirety of Scripture. So we start with Genesis. Genesis 3. We hear and we read about how God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. How in the Garden of Eden, he was present with them. He was in relationship with them. And then, of course, if you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They took the fruit and they ate it. They brought sin and brokenness and death into the world. And that, that severed relationship between humanity and God. But even in that moment, right from that start, God said, no, I have a plan. There is one coming and the serpent will bite his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. So from that very first moment that sent into the world, God had a plan and said, no, I'm going to bring us back together. If you fast forward in, in the history of scripture, uh, God is working through the nation of Israel. They are his people. They are his instrument to, to be his light to the world. And they are in slavery in Egypt. And miraculously, God brings them out of slavery, out of captivity, and he leads them. And he leads them as a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. And his presence goes before them. And then Moses goes up onto this mountain where the presence of God is, and he meets with the presence of God. And God gives him the law. And when he comes down from the mountain, it's like the presence of God has impacted him so that the Israelites can't even look at him. But he says, I'm not content to stay up on this mountain. I want to be with my people. And so he commands that a tabernacle be built, a place of meeting for the people of Israel and for God. And his presence comes upon that tent. And when it does, like the people are completely overwhelmed because of how great our God is. And go ahead even further to, to Christmas. I mean, the story of Christmas is just a story of God working to be with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, fully human, fully God, God incarnate with his people. And then that same little baby, he grows up and he has this encounter with this woman at a well. And this woman, uh, is, she's like, hold on, okay, so where are we supposed to worship you? You know, the Jews say it's got to be in the temple, but my family has always worshiped God on the, on the mountain where you met Moses. Where do I do it? And Jesus looks at her and he says, there is a time coming when true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. You won't have to go to a temple. You won't have to go to a mountain. He is foreshadowing the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then it does come at Pentecost. The Spirit of God descends upon his people. And it's cool because it comes as tongues of fire. Not as a giant pillar of fire as it did in the Old Testament, but individual tongues that rest upon the heads of every disciple of Jesus. Now, every person who loves and follows God, 
has his presence with them at all times. And if you skip to the very end, uh, the best part, Revelations chapter 21, it's going to be a new heaven. It's going to be a new earth. And the description of that new heaven and earth is a place where God comes and he makes his dwelling place among his people and they will be his people and he will be their God. From cover to cover, for all of human history and beyond, the heartbeat of our God has been to be with his people. That has always been God's desire. It is a defining aspect of his character. He has always wanted to be with you. And he has given you the Holy Spirit to make that a reality in your life. So if you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins, if you believe that he died on the cross, that he was God and he took your sin and your shame and he gave you his righteousness, you already have the Holy Spirit with you today. And if you don't, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ's gift of forgiveness, like he's offering that to you already. The debt's been paid. It's already done. All you have to do is say, Father, like, I want to live for you. Please take my sin and my shame. Give me your righteousness. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Immediately, the Holy Spirit is with you. Immediately, God comes and dwells with you, and you don't have to be alone. And if you want to talk more about how to do that and what that looks like, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you after the service. So the Holy Spirit is, is with us, and he's with us in this personal way, but the Holy Spirit also isn't just a passive observer. The Holy Spirit's not just God by our side, kind of like a cheerleader saying, hey, good job, you read your Bible, or hey, keep going, you can do it, walk towards Jesus, or man, you messed up. The Holy Spirit's not just there observing. The Holy Spirit is God, and he's come to play a part in your life and to work in your life, and that's why Jesus goes on in chapter 16 to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, I think that there's two uh, things that we need to get to. Because I think that, that when we talk about God being with us and we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, we get a little bit confused. And, and that's why we view Jesus Christ as, as better, more real presence of God than the Holy Spirit. And so two quick clarifications before we move on. First, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. When we describe the Trinity theologically, we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. And, and look at how Jesus describes him when he says, uh, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you. So first he's using, you know, person pronouns, him, he, to describe the Holy Spirit. But more importantly, he says, you will know him. He will be with you. The Holy Spirit is not just this nameless entity, not just a spiritual force. It is a person to know and have a relationship with. It is a person. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. He's a person and he's God. But we, we struggle, we get confused with this idea. I think we think of the Holy Spirit more like Star Wars and the Force. I really enjoy the Star Wars universe, the movies and all that stuff. And man, it'd be really cool to have my own lightsaber and to be a Jedi, right? But the coolest part about being a Jedi is you get to wield the power of the living force. And the force is this kind of energy that surrounds all life in the Star Wars universe. And if you really meditate 
And if you really study and you practice, you can wield its power. And it can let you do supernatural things like lift objects with your mind. And that's cool. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is. We view the Holy Spirit that way. We view the Holy Spirit not as God, but as God's power. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about how God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do great things in the world, to do things that we could not do on our own. And we're like, oh, I have the Holy Spirit, so I have God's power. And so if I really pray and, and read my Bible and meditate, and if I have great faith, then I can do things because of the Holy Spirit. And that's true. The Holy Spirit empowers us, but he is not just God's power. He is God. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he is God, and we can know him. And it's not less than God the Father. It's not less than Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God with us. So how does he work? How does he work? John 16, 5 through 15 says this. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks where I am going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare it to you and the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I have said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see right off the jump, the Spirit of God speaks and he guides us. Look at, and it says here, Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It guides us through the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about just like, oh, like, like the Holy Spirit, yeah, like he speaks to us, yeah, kind of like, no, like the Holy Spirit has a voice. God, Jesus is not saying, yeah, like sometimes, you know, you'll have a feeling and like, so no, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit has a voice. And it's not, it's not always a voice that you can hear in your ear, but he's really speaking. But more often than not, as believers, we aren't listening for the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to hear the Holy Spirit. We might say, yeah, like, okay, the Holy Spirit speaks, but we don't stop to listen. We're not asking God to speak to us. Not typically. Man, I didn't want to bring something that, that wasn't of God's word. And so I was like, okay, if the Holy Spirit really speaks, what does this really look like? Is this as literal as Jesus is making it sound? And so I searched the Bible and I found some really cool things. First, in Hebrews 3, 7 through 8, it writes, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness. This, it goes on, but this is a quote from Psalms, I think it's 95. 
So what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is the Holy Spirit spoke and he spoke God's word. He's telling us don't harden our hearts to his voice. And then in Acts 13, 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Do you guys realize how cool this is? I mean, the believers are gathered together. They're worshiping God. They're praying. They're fasting. They're seeking his will. And the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to set aside Barnabas and Saul for my work. They were seeking the will of God. And the Holy Spirit tangibly revealed it to them through his voice. That's not a metaphor. That really happened. And then one more time, in, in 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in a later time, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to defeat deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Uh, first off, that's kind of a pretty terrifying warning. So, hey heads up. Um, but for our purposes today, the Spirit expressly said that. Paul is saying that this is what the Holy Spirit has warned us of. The Holy Spirit has spoken, and he's saying there's going to come a time where believers leave the faith because they have been duped by the false teaching of spirits in the world and demons. He's expressly said something to us. And that he continues to do that today. So you're like, okay, Joe, like, this is great. You've, you've taken it, you've played out throughout Scripture how God speaks. I'm on board, he speaks, but... But maybe you're a little bit like, like Marlon in Finding Nemo. Who's seen this movie? It's a really good one. Pixar, grew up with it, love it. Okay, so this fish is looking for his son. And he comes upon, in his travels, this school or group of, of sea turtles. And they're traveling on this current. And he needs to get to Australia, and he has to take, take this like vortex of terror that exits him out of this current and is going to take him to Australia. And so this little baby sea turtle like pops up and he's going to tell him what to do, but he's talking like some sort of skater bro. He's like, it's got a wicked turn and it's gnarly and you got a kickflip out of here. And, and Merlin has no idea what he's saying. And so he's just like, uh, it's like he's trying to speak to me. I just know it, but I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> I think so many of us, when this concept of the Holy Spirit speaking comes to us, that's, that's what we feel like. We're like, okay, like I know God is trying to speak to me. I just know it, but I don't get it. I don't hear it. I don't know what it means. So we got to talk about this. So how does the Holy Spirit speak? And Jesus taught about this. He's, this is what he says. He says that, that the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world. He's going to guide the believer, and he's going to reveal Jesus. Talks about how the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So the first way that we know that the Holy Spirit speaks is that he speaks through our conscience to tell us about the sin that we are experiencing, the, th the things that we are doing wrong, and to point us back towards what is right. And the reality is, is that if you follow Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and made you aware of your need for a Savior. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, points us towards Jesus' righteousness, and it says that, that Jesus says it's going to guide the believer. He says it's going to guide him into all truth. One of the ways that this happened in my life was, was really, really cool. And there have been a number of moments where I've, I've heard the Spirit speak. Never, never in my ears, but in my heart. And, and it's not the same every time, but 
I just want to share it with you because I want you to know that, that he does speak. He does guide. He prompts us to take action, to obey the will of God. And so I was 16 years old, um, and I was, was hoping to go to Skid Row in Los Angeles, California, uh, to go and to work with the homeless there and to share the gospel with those who were living in poverty. And my parents in their wisdom said, hey, if the Holy Spirit's leading you this, this, uh, leading you in this way, that's great. Um, but we want that to be affirmed by, we're not going to support you financially. You've got to figure out how to get there yourself. And if it's God's will, he'll provide. And so I was, I was seeking uh, to, to get myself out to California. I was raising money to get a plane ticket on standby. And I just raised the last $100 at youth group. It was a Wednesday night. I was selling t-shirts, 10 bucks. One would go towards supporting uh, me in California. One would be given uh, to a homeless shelter. So we were selling these shirts, got the last hundred bucks. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. Thank you, God. I'm driving home. I get off the exit of 77 South, and there's a, a man there with a sign. that said something along the lines of, I'm, I'm in need, homeless, anything helps, God bless. And I, I knew that God was saying, give that man a hundred dollars. <laughs> and I, I argued with God. I was, I was like, no, God, don't you understand? I need this money so I can go to California and help the homeless. <laughs> right? Right? It was ridiculous. But I'm arguing with him. I didn't want to do that. I was like, God, no, like, you've given me this money for this reason. And I, I drove past him and I turned it on my street. It was, it was like two minutes from home. And I just, I just, I knew that that was what God wanted me to do. So right before I turned in my driveway, I, I turned around and I went back and I pulled over and I gave him the hundred bucks and I was at peace and I went home and I knew that was that what God wanted me to do. The really cool thing was, is that when I walked in my door, one of my siblings was there in the kitchen. They looked at me and they said, Hey, I'm really glad you're home. I, I just really felt called to give you the last hundred dollars. You need to go to California. So, so here you go. And man, that was, that was so cool. And that, that for me is, will always be a moment where I can look back on and so clearly see the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and when, I, when I question whether or not he's speaking, I, I look back to that moment. I go, yes, God's word says it. I've experienced it. But it's not always that straightforward. It's not always that simple. And oftentimes we need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and to his voice. And, and we don't get direct affirmation minutes afterwards. But I know that he guides us. I know that he speaks to us. And then finally, I know that he reveals Jesus. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us, to make us understand more about him. That's why he says, like, he's not going to speak on his own. He's going to declare to you about who I am. He's going to declare Jesus to you as believers. He's going to bring you remembrance of what I have said to you. So then, what if you're in this place and you're like, okay, well, why haven't I heard the Holy Spirit? What if I'm, I'm sitting here today, Joe, and I'm like, man, I, I want to hear the Holy Spirit. I believe you, like, like I see it in scripture, but, but I've never heard anything. What does that mean? Does that mean I have, I have less faith? Does that mean I'm, I'm not a real Christian? Like, what, what does that mean? And I, I want to clarify and tell you that God is so much bigger than we can imagine. He is infinite and he is mysterious and we do not know his plans or his ways. And we are not the ones who get to decide when he speaks and when he doesn't. But I do want to, to just ask a couple of clarifying questions that I think you can take to your own life if, if you're struggling to hear the Holy Spirit. It may help you to, to grow in that. The first is, okay, 
Are you asking him questions? Are you having conversations with him and asking him questions? So often when we pray, we're telling God, hey, thank you for this. Hey, that was cool. Or, or man, God, this was hard. God, would you please help me with this? God, can you do this for me? I think it's a lot rarer in the walk of believers today for us to stop and to ask him questions. A really cool thing that we did with our middle schoolers this summer as we studied God's word was anytime they came to something they didn't understand, we said, okay, we're going to stop. And we're going to ask God to help us understand the scripture. We're just going to ask God. We're going to say, dear God, I don't understand verse 19. Please help me understand it. When we make decisions, are we seeking God and asking him, what is your will? What is your plan? And then the flip side of that is, is are we listening? Are we taking time to listen to God? Are we having spaces where we're silent, where we're quiet after we pray to listen to God? Even more important question is, are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? Jesus is so incredibly clear in this teaching in John 14 and 16 that the primary primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks is through the word of God, through the scriptures. He says over and over again, like the Holy Spirit will call to your minds and remember what I have spoken. He will teach you about what I have said. He will not declare new things to you, but declare what I have already said. The primary way that the Holy Spirit speaks is through the word of God. And so, yeah, like, I, I'm, God, I'm not God. God can speak how and when he wants to speak, but I can tell you that it's going to be a whole lot harder to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit if you are not in the word of God. And on top of that, you won't be able to test and discern what is of the spirit of God and what is of the spirit of this world without scripture. Because here's one thing that I know is true when it comes to the speaking of the Holy Spirit is that the spirit will never contradict the word of God. God will not contradict something that he has already said. And so if you believe that you have heard from the Spirit of God, if you believe he is calling you to do something, and you test the spirits as we're called to in 1 John, you go to Scripture, and you find that what you believe he's calling you to do contradicts what he has commanded in Scripture. It is not of God, it is of this world. And so as we seek to hear the Spirit's voice, we need to ask him questions. We need to give him opportunities to speak, to, to create silent spaces so we can hear from him. And we need to be in God's word so that we can hear from him and discern what is of him and what is of the world. Another way that we see that God works is, is that he's empowered us. It's really cool in John 14, right before he jumps into the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So how are we going to do these greater works? It's because I'm going to the Father. The reason that we're able to do these greater works is because Jesus ascends, and when he ascends, he sends the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do works that are greater than even Jesus himself. Because as believers, we are now the hands and feet of God. We are the, the people that are supposed to carry out the ministry of Jesus, continue it throughout history. And so the Holy Spirit is, is, is God with us, empowering us to do those things that we could not do by ourselves. And I don't have time to, to get into all of the spiritual gifts and miraculous signs and, and wonders 
I'd need a whole another, you know, six-week sermon series for that or something. But, but what I want you to know is we need to be careful not to see people abuse the gifts of the Spirit, to abuse the power of the Holy Spirit over here and be like, man, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like how they're using that. I, don't, I feel like that's, that's abusing the Holy Spirit and his power, that we swing all the way back over here and we end up on this side of the pendulum. We're like, this is more comfortable if the Spirit just doesn't empower me. It's just more comfortable if like, I just kind of keep living the way that I've always lived and ignore the change that happens as a result of God being with me. And because that side makes me so uncomfortable and it doesn't mesh with scripture, I'm gonna swing all the way back over here when in reality, I should be somewhere in the middle knowing that God works and gives us power that we can't explain away with logic and reason from this world. And so I'd encourage you to seek the spirit and to seek his transformational power. It only makes sense, right? If we have the God of the universe, the one true God present with us at all times, why would we not change? Why would we not be able to do things that we couldn't do on our own? Why would we not look different than the world? Man, if, if, if the fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, love, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, if your fruits of the Spirit don't look any different than the world's, man, like you have God with you. You have the Spirit with you. He's given you power that, that other people don't have because they do not have, them, have him. Again, like we're going to wrap up this morning, and, and I can't touch anywhere near everything that you need to know about the Holy Spirit as a follower of God. God is, is so vast. He's infinite. And, and yet somehow he's made himself knowable to us, but I need a whole lot more time to touch on everything about the Holy Spirit. And so I would really challenge and encourage you not to ignore the Holy Spirit, not to write him off just because it's a little bit more comfortable for us to just think about the person of Jesus because he had human flesh. And if you're looking to, to seek uh, more of the Holy Spirit, if you want to dive deeper into this topic, I would really recommend that you start with, with Forgotten God by Francis Chan. It's a really simple book on the Holy Spirit. It's a great place to start. Even if you're, you know, you're like, I'm not really an avid reader. It's seven chapters. It's really pretty short. And Francis Chan just uses really attainable language to help you understand the Spirit. This would be a great place to go if you want to continue to seek the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, search God's Word. Open the Bible. Learn more about the Holy Spirit from what God has revealed about himself. I want to transition into a time of prayer now, and I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up. I want you to know that, that the Holy Spirit not only empowers you to do great things, but he empowers you to pray. We are told that even when we don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit intercedes with, for us with groanings that are far too big for words. And so we know that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit helps us to pray. That God is already with us, in us, dwelling among us as we try to seek God. So we pray to him.